0: well good morning valley family it's great to see all of you today and hey listen uh if you don't know who i am i am pastor Stephen francis i am the campus pastor for the poughkeepsie campus and i want to shout out the poughkeepsie campus right now poughkeepsie campus i know you know how to do it can you give god just a rowdy praise where you're at right now just raise the roof off the place get a noise complaint from the people over there for the name of jesus love you guys and also, if you are watching online, thank you for joining us. And hey, do us a favor, just type in hello from where you're at, how many people are watching with you. We always enjoy knowing who is tuning in with us every Sunday. So we are super grateful for you guys being with us today. I am here to give you week two of our message from the series Selfless New Year Less me. I love that tagline, new year, less me. And something that Many of you guys uh, probably don't know, Uh, I've I've mentioned this before, but I grew up in church. I'm someone that grew up a charismatic Pentecostal Christian, and at my home church to this day, anytime we entered into a new year, we always had some type of slogan that we would use as our way of showing what we were seeking for in the new year. I actually talked to some of my family members that still attend that church to get some of these for them, and I actually wanted to share them with you today so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about when I say that they have like a yearly slogan. It started off like this. In 2002, God was going to do it for you. In 2003, you were going to get the victory. In 2004, God was going to give you more. In 2005, dead things were coming alive, zombies. In 2006, you were going to get it fixed. In 2007, it was going to be an open heaven. In 2008, God was going to make it great. In 2009, everything was going to be just fine. In 2010, you were destined to win. In 2011, you're going to get the open heaven that you should have got in 2007. Now, here's the thing. There's some more, and I'm going to tell you right now. After 2011, stuff starts to get very corny. I'm going to tell you right now. These were the ones that came in the recent years. In 2012, nobody was going to hell. Well, 2013 we in lean and 2014 we in green and 2015 we in clean and 2016 we live in the dream that one I'll, I'll take that one 2017 God was going to step into your scene that one was good too and 2018 my sister didn't remember so she said 2018 we're going to eat Krispy Kreme something to that nature but you kind of get the point there was some type of slogan for each year going going into it. And I don't know what the one for 2019 is, but I do know this, that everybody in here most likely has something that they want to happen in 2019. If I could summarize it in any way, I would say that many of you guys want your 2019 to be better than your 2018. I don't think nobody here wants to have a bad year. In fact, many of you guys have set up New Year's resolutions and New Year's goals aimed to help you make sure that your 2019 is more successful than your 2018. And I have some good news to tell all of you guys, because I don't know if you knew this. But not only do you want to have a great 2019, but God wants you to have a great 2019. In fact, God doesn't want you just to have a great 2019. God wants you to have a great life. God wants you to be great And that's something that I believe that many of us, maybe you didn't know it, but I want to encourage you today with it. So actually, let's do this this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to be great. Go ahead and say it. Now I want you to turn to your second choice neighbor and say, you weren't my second choice, but God still wants you to be Great. And if you're following along in your notes today, I want you to write down, God wants you to be great. And let me make this clear because maybe you're a little confused here about what I mean. I don't think greatness means a pain-free life or a drama-free life. I don't think greatness means an easy life, but I do believe God has something great for us in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And that's something that not only does God want, but that's something that we should be pursuing. So the question you also have to ask yourself is this, what does greatness look like? We would easily say that greatness is anything that happens above a normal or average level. And we would attribute greatness many times with whatever our profession is. They're a great athlete. They're a great athlete. Mother, they're a great uh janitor, even whatever your career is. There is somebody that probably is considered great amongst those circles. And I believe that if we are people that are Christians, we should be the people that are doing our best to be the greatest at whatever that thing is. In fact, if we can just be honest, I want to have a conversation with you and I hope you can keep it between us. I actually believe that there are too many times when someone claims to be a Christian, but everything that they do in their life seems to show mediocrity. In fact, I'm bold enough to say that there are actual people that do not believe in God, that aren't Christians, that actually do more to show God's greatness and how they live their lives than some Christians do, unfortunately. And I've experienced this in my own life in diverse ways. Um, I mentioned before already, I grew up in church, but I actually did not become a Christian till I was 15 years old because I was led to Jesus by a fellow student in my school, which by the way, to all of my high school and middle school students in here, I wanna encourage you with this fact that just because you're young does not mean that you can't have a lasting impact in someone's life. I am standing here today because someone at my high school shared the gospel with me. Imagine what God can do and your life as well. I'm gonna let that sip and keep it moving. But when I became a Christian at 15, the church that I attended, and this was a popular movement that was happening in several church circles, was this, that there was kind of like this boycott of many secular things, many things that weren't Christian. So if uh, you weren't allowed to listen to, uh, excuse me, secular music, you weren't allowed to listen to secular music, there was a lot of boycotts against Disney movies and other things that were considered in high production Uh, at that time. And that was a big frustration for me because I liked a lot of those things that they said to not invest in. In fact, Um, it was really difficult because I'm someone that's super into rap. I know, surprise, right? And I remember going to my friend and I was like, listen, man, if I can't listen to Lauryn Hill or Nas or any of these other type of artists, what am I supposed to listen to now because I still like rap music? Now, granted, Kirk Franklin was killing the game. Fred Hammond was killing the game when I was younger. They were great, but I still wanted to listen to rap music. And I remember my friend was like, listen, bro, I got you. Have you ever heard of gospel gangsters? I kid you not, this is a real group. Look them up on your own time. He was like, listen, I'm going to get you this Gospel Gangsta CD and this Richie Righteous CD. And these were like these Christian rappers at the time. And church, I'm going to be honest with you, so much respect for those brothers for what they were trying to do, but it was terrible it was horrible rap poor production bad writing and I couldn't stand it and even worse I would have to try to listen to this stuff and then I would also go to like these weird youth services where they made people burn their secular cds at the end of the service and I remember somebody came up to me and they were like man when I threw my Will Smith cd in the fire I heard a demon hiss and fly out in a puff of smoke and I was like no idiot when you throw stuff in the fire it It causes for crackling sounds to happen and also for smoke to come up. This is regular life. And also, why do you have a Will Smith CD in the first place? Who wants to listen to get jiggy with it on repeat? I don't understand this right now. I don't think we're talking about the right thing. But either way, I've experienced things in that avenue and other areas where, yes, someone's claimed to be a Christian, but too many times mediocrity was synonymous with it. And let me say this as well. There is so much great Christian produced things today. Some of my favorite rappers, some of my favorite uh, productions, movies and things like that are Christian based things. So things have definitely improved. But nevertheless, whatever that situation is, whatever our profession is, we should be sure that we're showing greatness with that. The Bible uh, echoes this, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says this, that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We need to be people that are ambitious to make much of God's name. But here's the other thing about this as well, is that many of us know, yes, it's good to pursue greatness, but many of us know that there are a lot of people that are ambitious to be great in whatever sphere that they're in. And that's caused for them to be a little bit more toxic than they should be. They've hurt people in the process of trying to become successful. They've damaged relationships with their loved ones, maybe even hurt themselves in the process. And we don't want to be the type of people that in the pursuit of greatness, it is now a detriment to our family relationships and the people that we consider friends and, and coworkers. So the question is, again, what does greatness look like if God wants us to be great? How should that look? I think we get an indicator from Philippians 2 starting at verse 3 that says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I actually have to pause right here because where it says selfish ambition in the original Greek, it's actually more one word that was synonymous with the word mercenary. Someone that we many times would associate with someone that gets paid to do specific war things. But more so here, mercenary is just a word for saying that this person is, only about their pursuits and they will do it to the detriment of others so we shouldn't people of selfish we shouldn't be people that do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but I also need to mention this before I move forward notice how Paul the writer of this passage says uh that not to have selfish ambition but he did not say don't have ambition ambition is a good thing there are people that are ambitious to free people from human trafficking. There are people that are ambitious to see the kingdom of God reach everywhere. The Apostle Paul was probably one of the most ambitious people in the Bible. So we see that ambition is a good thing. So where should we put our ambitions? That's what the rest of this verse is saying. It's saying, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others this is the type of attitude that we're supposed to have and not only is this shown by the apostle paul but this is exemplified in the life of jesus now we see this in the life of jesus as we go into the rest of philippians but i actually want us to go over to matthew chapter 20 where we see a very interesting conversation transpire now For the sake of time, I'm going to give you guys the context of what's happening before I I go ahead and read the verse. See, Jesus had 12 disciples. Two of the disciples were actually brothers, and they were called the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. That was their name. And the sons of thunder got their mom to go to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 to ask Jesus a very important question. And the scripture literally says that the mom approached Jesus with the son standing behind her. And the mom asked Jesus this question. She said, Jesus, I would love it if my boys were able to sit by your throne in your kingdom. You can have one sit on your right, and you can have one sit on your left. You pick who sits where, but I would love it if they sat by your throne in the kingdom. Now, As she's saying this, the other 10 disciples see this happening and they become indignant, meaning that they are upset because they also wanted to sit at Jesus's right and left side. But now the sons of Zebedee have gotten there before her. Now, something that's funny, I heard a pastor talk about this passage one time and he was making fun of these sons of Zebedee because how do you call yourselves the sons of thunder? You're these mighty men. That's the image that we get from that phrase. And then also you're already Jesus's disciple Why would you get your mommy to go up and ask Jesus this question? And I laughed because not to say I thought it was true, but I laughed because he probably did not know moms like my mom. See, my mother is one of those people where she can get anything done. If I was the son of thunder, my mother is the thunder in that situation. I promise you that. And I have been blessed to know very strong women in my life, most of them being mothers. So I have to shout out Maureen Francis. If you're watching, I love you. And then I also need to shout out my mother-in-law, Karen Johnson, because if many of you who know Karen Johnson knows that this woman has pulled off the impossible multiple times with the grace and elegance that I did not know existed so I know for sure if I was one of these brothers I probably would have said man if I go ask Jesus to sit at his throne he'd probably say no but if mom asks then maybe we got a shot at this so they put their best foot forward got mom to ask and Jesus says listen it's not my place to actually make that position or that decision but I will tell you this that if you're seeking greatness this is how you get it starting at verse 26 Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be great, I'll tell you how to do it. You got to be a servant. In fact, you got to be the servant of many. This is also echoed in the book of Mark, where we see Jesus say this to his disciples that anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. See, I personally believe, and you're entitled to your opinion, but I believe Jesus Christ is the greatest man that ever lived. And yes, he did great teachings, yes, he did great miracles. But what made him exceed any other person in human history was that he was the greatest servant also that ever lived. To be great and to be a servant is not two opposite things, but in in retrospect, excuse me, they are the two sides to the same coin. And I believe that this is shown shown in the way that Jesus lived his life, even to the point where Jesus was willing to serve his father and die on the cross for our sins. But even greater than that is not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins as an obedient servant to his father, but also we see the power of Jesus knowing that he is not just the son of God, but is God. And the fact that he could not stay dead rose from the grave on the third day with power and authority in his hands and our sins paid in full. That's the God that we serve. A God that is not only powerful, so powerful that he could beat the grave, but also a God willing to serve. And I think that there's two ways that we see this. But if you're following along in your notes still, I want you to write this down. That the greatest you is the serving you. That if Jesus is the greatest person of all time, then we need to learn how to be like Jesus. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we need to be people that serve. The greatest you is the serving you. And here's the thing. Obviously, the biggest way that Jesus ever served was dying on the cross for our sins. But the second way is almost preceding his time on the cross. John chapter 13 Uh, does the story and before I read this I want once again want to give you some context see back in the times of Jesus a little over 2,000 years ago uh, there was not really paved roads at that time was a lot more dirt roads Uh, there were no cars and there was also no such thing as sneakers it was just variation of strap sandals and Birkenstocks so during that time People would walk, and once they come into somebody's house, their feet would be very dirty from the roads. So they usually, the person in that household, as a courtesy, would have a slave or a very low servant wash the feet of the guests in their home. It was something considered a humbling thing. Some would even say it would be considered a humiliating thing to be in that position to wash people's feet. But in John chapter 13, we see Jesus sitting with his disciples after a meal. And after they finished the meal, Jesus got up, put on a slave's apron, and began to wash the disciples' feet. And the disciples were filled with shock because no uh, savior, no teacher, no rabbi should ever be putting himself in such a low position. Not to mention the fact it was awkward. It was weird. To this day, if someone wanted to wash your feet and you didn't pay them beforehand, it is considered weird. Something that is uncomfortable. Yet Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, stooped down to wash their feet. And I want to say this as well. Because this was obviously a lesson that Jesus was about to teach. And we're going to read those verses as well. But also... I think this is one of the best ways that Jesus showed his love to his disciples and how he shows his love even for us. That there was not nothing too low for Jesus to do to show love to us. That he served us in even the most lowest of ways so that we may be able to have life in him. I love that about Jesus. That he was so relentless in that way. But also, he does this to create a standard, saying this in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. God wants you to be great. And if you want to be great, You have to live a life like Jesus, and Jesus lived a life of serving. That's the God that we serve, and that's how we best reflect his image. If you want to have a better 2019 than your 2018, I want to challenge you today to let this be the year that you serve more than ever before. The question that you do have to ask yourself is, all right, I get it. I need to serve, but what does serving look like for me? I'm a busy person. I have a lot going on. How can I serve the same way that Jesus served? I think that there are four ways that we can do this. Some of these uh, you probably already do, but then there are others that you can step into this year in order to increase the level of greatness that God is trying to use you in this life. The first thing that we can do is we can pray for more people. Simple as that. Pray for more people. Right now, as I'm talking here, Poughkeepsie Online, I want you to think of five people in your life. It could be five family members. It could be five friends, five co-workers, whoever you'd like, mixture. And today, I want you, even in your valley notes, if you're taking them, write them down at the bottom in the additional note section. But I want you to Write down those five names. And when you leave here today, I want you to text or call these five people. Maybe there's someone sitting next to you right now. Go ahead. Later on after, ask them this question. Is there anything you want to accomplish this year that I can pray for? Super simple, non-offensive. Is there anything that you want are trying to do in 2019 that I could pray for. And what I love about this is two things. First, we could all do better praying a little bit more, including me. I could do a little better praying more. But not only does it benefit you because you're praying more, but I guarantee you this, the more you pray for people, the more likely you're able to help them. Prayer does not just move God's heart to action, it also moves your heart to action. And church, I want to challenge you today to be the people that not only pray, but then also after you pray, seek how you could be an answer to their prayer. Maybe you, you say, what's something you want to do in 2019? And, and they say, you know what? I want to try to grow closer with my spouse. We get super busy with the kids and everything else. And you can say, you know what? Maybe I can watch your kids one day. Or maybe I can help put money towards you guys, finding a babysitter so you can go out on a date. Let me help serve you in this way so that you can achieve your goals. Maybe someone is like, listen, I'm, I'm in school. I'm about to go back to school. It's a really hectic. It's like, hey, listen, how, how about me and you just have a little study group together? Maybe you study your school stuff. I'll study the Bible. I don't know. We'll turn, the, we'll turn the TV off, and we'll just have some time just so we can focus. Maybe I can quiz you on some stuff. What do you say? Whatever it is, find something amongst those five people that you ask to pray for that you can begin to serve them in to help them achieve their goals jesus helps us each and every day achieve exceeding and abundantly all that we can ask or think how much more should we be able to do a little bit of that in the life of someone that we care about that's just the first thing the second thing that we can do is have ambition to honor Romans 12 10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I love this verse because this kind of brings out a little bit of a competitive side in me. I'll be honest. Like I like the idea of trying to be the most honoring person. This is a true story. Uh, My wife, who I love very much, beautiful woman and, and is getting ready to have our first child. Very excited about that. I read this verse two weeks ago, and I was thinking about all the things that my wife does for me. My wife is very patient with me, because I'll be honest, I'm a very passionate person, and I want to do this thing and that thing, and many times she either settles me down or goes along with me. Uh, my wife helps me when I'm overburdened uh, with a lot of stuff. Many times in church, the church world can get crazy sometimes. My wife even watched Bird Box with me on Netflix, and she, is scary. she does not like scary movies whatsoever. Which, by the way, in retrospect, and many of you guys in here have seen it, uh, that is like the worst movie for a pregnant person to watch, for sure. So as a way of honoring my wife, I did this at home. I privately made it my mission that whatever my wife did to honor me, I would do something double good to honor her. If she made me coffee, I got her coffee and lunch. If she uh, helped me out with something at work, I would help out with something in the house and then do more. I will admit though, there was another day uh, earlier this week, in fact, uh, my wife, cleaned out the kitchen and she did all the dishes put them in the dishwasher and I came in a little bit later and I was like you know what I'm gonna be sure that nothing else touches the sink she's not gonna touch another dish in this house for the rest of the day so I finished my food and when I went in to uh, put it in the dishwasher to turn it on I realized that it was a dishwasher full of clean stuff and I said I'm not in the mood for this today. I'm going to wash this plate by hand and get back to it another day. I'm only human. I I can only do what I can, people. I'm a work in progress. But still, I made it my goal to out-honor my wife. And she now knows this, and she's in this competition too. And if we were the type of, uh, if we did more of this regularly, maybe you're not in a relationship, but maybe you could do this at work or somewhere else, how much better would our world be? If you said, you know what, I'm making the coffee today. In fact, no, I'm not making coffee today. I'm going to Starbucks and buying everybody whatever drink they want. How about that? You know what? Hey, listen, uh, I know we're eating right now, but I tell you what, if you want, next time, uh, lunch is on me. I got you. At work, You can do things that are small, they're not significant, but ways that you can show uh, honoring to the person next to you. A way of showing that we can serve. Number three, the third thing that we can do is be a church contributor and not just consumer. We know that everybody has busy lives. We know that everybody in here has something going on. But Valley Christian Church runs off of the power of the Holy Spirit and also through the many willing volunteers that help make each and every Sunday, each and every event possible. And I want to say thank you to all of you people that are serving already, even serving as I'm preaching right now. And I also need to make a huge shout out to all of the incredible people at the Poughkeepsie Setup Team. We are here because of you. Thank you for all that you do. God bless you. And maybe this year can be the year for somebody in here to say, you know what? I'm also going to contribute. And let the record show you stepping into serving is not you saying, all right, let me just fill a need. Let me just help out with kids since there seems to be a need for someone to help watch kids. No, you are actively partnering and expanding the kingdom of God in this community. You're not just helping watch kids. No, you're helping raise the next generation to know the goodness of Jesus and being able to articulate it to other people. If you're a greeter at the door, you're not just saying good morning, but you're putting people at ease that may be coming to church for the first time, don't know what to expect, being able to help them receive the word of God more comfortably. And I say this all the time. The the people at the Poughkeepsie Setup Team, shout out to you again. They don't just show up to push cases around and set stuff up, but they work in such a way where we turn a movie theater where the same person that watched Aquaman the day before can now experience the power of the living God in their lives. That's something we don't take for granted here. And I promise you, church, if you haven't partaken in that yet, let this be the year that you say, you know what? Maybe I can't serve every week, but I need to do something. And I promise you, God will show himself to you in that. And the relationships that form from that is also incredible as well. But the fourth thing we can do is something that I think is so essential, but also the most difficult, is you need to look for who you overlook. Look for who you overlook. Jesus, before he died on the cross, like I mentioned earlier, he washed their feet, but then he also had a series of teachings that he did uh, as his final words before he left. And one of the final things that he said was this particular story where he says that one day he will have uh, two groups of people before him, the righteous and the unrighteous. And he says this in Uh, Matthew 25, starting at verse 34, the king being Jesus will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. See, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've heard this passage before. And what I was brought up to believe was when they talked about the least of these, it was usually meant to mean the poor or the struggling. But in the original language, when you see the original phrasing, what it meant to say, when you do one of these things for those that you overlook. See, there are people that we often overlook. It's easy, yes, we know that there are poor people. We know that there are people that are struggling uh, to eat, to find clean water. And yes, we should be doing everything that we can to help those people because those are people that can be overlooked. But you know who else sometimes we overlook? The person that's at work and going through a tough divorce. And we know it, but we haven't talked to them to see how they're doing. The person that's overwhelmed with things financially. And we know it, but we say, oh, they'll figure it out. We'll just tell them we're praying for them. Tell them good luck. And we'll keep it moving. The people around us that are struggling with depression and anxiety and other things and it's like listen every time I talk to this person it's the same old sad song and they become the overlooked I want to challenge you today in 2019 to pray and seek for the people that are sitting right next to you even right now that have been overlooked in your life for something else And here's the big challenge that I want to say. Don't just meet with that person. Don't just say, hey, how are you? What's what's life been like for you? How's your transition been since this terrible thing that might have happened to them? But also when they give you an answer, don't be so quick to counsel them either. Unless you are an actual counselor, then do counsel them. Thank you for all that you do. You do great work. But I do believe for the rest of us, I think we would do a lot better just kind of sitting with somebody in the midst of their pain listen I don't really know what to say I don't know how to help you in this situation I just want to be present with you though in this situation hey are you cool if we just get some food and you just share with me whatever I don't have anything to advise I don't know what to say but I just want to be someone that you can talk to help process these things with that's an act of serving That's something that we do with Christ often. God is in the midst of our present troubles. God is in the midst of our tough situations. And even when he doesn't answer us right away with the solution to those things, nevertheless, we know that his presence and his peace and his strength is there with us. So let us be the people that God also empowers to be peace and strength for somebody else. My time is up today, but I'd love it if you can pray with me right now. And I want to pray for every believer in here, for every person in here that wants their life to be great. If you don't want your life to be great, if you are fine with not having influence, if you are fine with not having your life amount to much, then you're off the hook. It's fine. But for somebody in here that says, you know what, I want God to use me to the fullest. I want God to do something in my 2019 that I could not have imagined happening in my 2018, then this prayer is for you. I want to pray for you now. God, I thank you for these wonderful people for these people that you love, for these people that you've called for such a time as this. And God, I pray, Lord, that today be the day that, Lord, you use them, that, Lord, they experience greatness in their life that's not about money, that's not about uh, status or some type of other form, but, Lord, it is purely out of them wanting to be great because you are great, and to be great is to serve others. I pray that you empower them to do either one of these four things mentioned or something else. And Lord, that this world that they live in will change because of it, because you use them for this moment. And maybe you're somebody in here right now where you say, you know what, I do want my life to be great. But my life isn't great because it doesn't have God in it. I want to encourage you today that God is seeking after you. God wants to be in your life. Romans says this, that if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I want you to pray these words after me if you want to receive Jesus in your life right now, if you want the greatness of God experienced in your life right now, just say these words after me. Dear Lord, please come into my life. I thank you that Jesus loved me, that he died on the cross for me, I believe he was raised from the dead. I want to serve like he served me. I trust in you for this journey together. In Jesus' name, amen.